0: Please stand for a reading from God's Word this morning. We begin the Gospel according to Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 1. The story is verses 21 through 28. And the Word says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. My friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. We are uh, beginning a series this morning called Amazed and Afraid, and it is 13 extraordinary stories out of the gospel according to Mark. And we are going to see a number of themes that are going to emerge from the scripture. One of them is Jesus' mastery over the super spiritual and the natural world. We're going to experience the cost of discipleship. You decide for yourself, is that amazed or afraid? We're also going to look at Jesus as our suffering Messiah. And this series is 13 weeks that carries us all the way up to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So if you have anything to hope for right now, you can go, okay, in 13 weeks, it's going to be Easter. It's going to be warmer. We'll be wearing shorts. We also have for you a, a reading guide Uh, If you didn't pick one up, they are in the foyer there. You can also print one of your own online. Uh, This is a helpful tool. It's going to highlight each week's scripture and give you a place to take sermon notes if that's something you do, which is a good thing to do, Uh, and then offers the subsequent readings in between the sermons so you can keep track with the Gospel of Mark. This can also be Friends, a BYOB series. Now get that out of your mind. I mean, bring your own Bible to church. It's just a good habit to have to bring a copy, your copy of God's Word with you as we encounter it. Let me pray, and then I want to dig in deeper into this amazing story that kicks off the Gospel of Mark. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your presence over your Word. Father, that we can look at these words that were penned thousands of years ago by Mark, presuming he heard them from Peter and assembled them, But Holy Spirit, you were there, inspiring these words. And as they were hand-copied over and over again in those early centuries before printing, again, your hand was over them, preserving them for us, keeping them true. Then to this day, Lord, where the very words we look at are the very words the Holy Spirit is calling us to see, reveal them to our hearts, I pray. Come and give an authority to your word by your Spirit, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's look at this story again in a little more detail. So this is early on Jesus ministry. He's just gathered a few of his disciples and now they're off to Capernaum. They went to Capernaum and when Sabbath came, this is what you do. They entered the synagogue and Jesus was invited to teach. Now the synagogue apparently in Capernaum is still there. You can go see it if you want to. It's a place of cultural kind of engagement, so it might be open during the week for people to come and gather, much much like ours is at a time when, you know, there's not a pandemic. It's a gathering spot for the community to come and exchange love and ideas and just be in community together, but something changes, of course, on the Sabbath day. That's the Lord's Day, Saturday for them, and they gather for the purpose of worshiping God together, again, in community and learning from His Word. Now, it's not quite as structured as you might assume, kind of like we are. I almost think we're a little bit too stiff, right? Because you notice in the Scripture that, you know, people are always reacting to things. They're very emotional. We tend to be a little more stiff. But here's the thing. In the synagogue that day, Jesus came in, and he's a, you know, pretty young rabbi. He's got a couple of followers with him. Looks like he knows what he's talking about. Let's, let's invite him up to teach. That's not uncommon. A, ra- a, a traveling rabbi with a couple of followers that enters into the synagogue would probably get an invitation to come up and preach. If they like what they hear, they would invite him to continue to preach among them. It'd be like, it'd be like having a young uh, covenant pastor come in from a neighboring church, brings a couple of his followers with him. They're like, hey, welcome. Yeah, come on in. How about you share a word with us this morning? It's sort of like this weird open mic night thing, right? And so there's Jesus. And he comes in, he's got a couple of his followers with him. Huh, here's a young guy. Looks like he knows what he's doing. Why don't you come up and share a word with us? Go ahead, take the pulpit. Jesus begins to teach. And when he begins to teach, they are amazed. They're amazed at what they hear. Now, one thing you're going to learn as we go on through this Gospel of Mark, even though they use the word amazed or astonished several times, it's a, it's a collection of various words that imply the emotional response. And this particular one, this particular one that is translated astonished in our NRSV, amazed in some others, it really means shocked. Like the implication is it's an amazement, but it's an instantaneous hit in the head, lightning bolt just went off kind of shock. They were amazed and astonished and shocked at what they were hearing because Jesus was teaching them with authority, and they're like, oh, we've not heard the word taught this way with that kind of confidence. I want to thank the, the good Reverend R.C. Sproul. I was looking at some stuff that he had written and the idea that I wanted to dig a little deeper into that. What is it that shocked them so much? Because I don't know if you've ever had that experience of going into a church and hearing someone preach. You're like, oh, I'm shocked. I mean, I'm just blown away by what I'm hearing. You're like, no, I've, I've had it this week and last week and the week before. No. It was shocking to them what they were hearing because he was teaching with authority. And so R.C. led me to head down this path and kind of unpack this. In the the original language, and I don't offer you this to impress you with Greek skills, but it's just important for us to see. The word is exousia, exousia. Say that, exousia. Ooh, Greek scholars, yeah. Exousia essentially means he has authority over, he has command over over the Word of God. It would be the equivalent of, like, maybe you remember that story of the the Roman officer who's like, oh, I have authority over my underlings. If I tell them to do something, they do it. Jesus is demonstrating command over the Word of God, not like the scribes who are just kind of copying it from below. Jesus has command over God's Word. He's instructing it. He's using it like a, a skilled officer. It's obeying Him. He's working through it. It's amazing to see. But then I was led a little deeper down the hole, and I don't always advise, it's not always helpful, but I wanted to break the word apart a little bit and see what's in there. And so exousia is essentially kind of two sort of words put together, ex, which is a a prefix meaning out of or from, and usia. And usia, it arrives from the verb, basic verb of being or to be. Any Any of you who have ever studied languages, typically you start with that verb to be or presence or existence. Again, it's just sometimes helpful to look at the word and just see what was going on here. And Jesus was teaching exousia. He was teaching from or out of being with, present in, God's word. He was teaching as if it was part of him. And he, it. It. gets even weirder than that. Ussia is a word later that's translated in the Gospels for inheritance or treasure. Maybe you recall, if you've read that story before, of the prodigal son who goes to his father. And he says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. I want my treasure. I want my usia that which belongs to him by birthright and is precious. Jesus is teaching the word as if he belongs to him, but not callously. It's like a treasure, and, he, and he's working through the word. In other words, he owns it, and he owns the word. And it must be beautiful to hear We pull back out a little bit, back to the English word. I love just tearing words apart. Besides tennis, one of my favorite habits, tearing words apart. Authority. He was teaching with authority, as if he was the author. You know, it's one thing to hear uh, or read a critique of a book, but it's another thing to hear from the creator, isn't it? You know, you might see, like, a review of a movie. You're like, oh, I liked it because of this, that, this, that. But it's another thing to hear from the the writer, the producer, the director. It's like, no, I crafted that. Jesus is teaching with authority. It's inspired as if he knows it so well as if he's written it himself. Now, in the synagogue, they wouldn't be teaching so much historical, uh, you know, interpretation. Like, oh, this word was written back then. It kind of means that. They would know all that. They've been schooled in the word the whole time. So it's, you know, you don't have to tell me what it says. We know what it says. Tell me what you think it means. Give me some interpretation. Give me some application. That's what they were hungry for, especially when a young preacher gets up to speak. Jesus is teaching with authority, and you've probably heard him several times in the Gospels, and we'll hear it again, where he when he teaches, he says, Ah, now you have heard it said, but I tell you, That's him offering interpretation. And Jesus is teaching with interpretation and he's doing it perfectly as if he is the author and the perfecter of God's word. Now, if your mind is starting to blow, that's exactly what they experienced too. Because they realized in that moment exactly what is written in the beginning of the Gospel of John. That the word has become flesh and now dwells among them. And they're seeing His glory and the glory of His only Son of the Father, who is full of grace and full of truth. You get it now? Oh, my, are you hearing this? We've not heard teaching like this before. Jesus is teaching with authority. That's why they were so amazed. That's why they were so shocked. That's why they felt like they had just got hit by lightning. They were awestruck by what they were hearing. They've never heard anybody teach like this. A mastery over the word as if he was with it and it was a part of him, as if he had authored it, it was made specifically for him and by him. I picture, you know, someone, if you've ever seen someone who's a master uh, musician, you know, and I'm talking like other levels, right? Maybe classical guitarist or pick your favorite instrument where they, they play it and they just play it. And it's like, no, they're not even just playing it. It's just part of them. And it's just like they're one with it. That's what Jesus was doing with God's word. It was brilliant. He was putting on a display they'd never seen before. And it was amazing, astonishing, mind-blowing. What was he saying? Oh, I'd love to be there. Like, beam me back to that moment right there. A young Jesus getting started hearing what he was saying in the synagogue that day. I'd love to hear that. We get a little bit of a clue earlier in the chapter, verse 15, where Jesus said he was going out, and it says he was teaching this. The time of waiting is now fulfilled. The kingdom of God is now drawn near. God is at hand. Healing is going to come. Captives are going to be released. Freedom is declared. Repent. Turn from the way you're going and believe in the good news of God. Something like that. And they were amazed and astonished. What an absolutely beautiful, beautiful moment. Then suddenly there's in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And it happened just like that. They were having this beautiful moment hearing him embrace the word of God. And then suddenly there's a man in the synagogue right there with him with an unclean spirit. Now, wait a second. You might be thinking, unclean spirit there in the synagogue, like right next to him in the building. How could that be? How long has he been there? Has he been standing by the door the whole time or what? What was he doing there? Was he a friend? Was he a regular? Was he a leader? Responding to what was being taught, the Word of God with such mastery, this unclean spirit was agitated. Was agitated and it gets angry and it barks out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come? to destroy us, us, wait, like there's more than one of you, yeah, this unclean spirit is representative of unclean spirits that are loose everywhere, I want to dig into what's going on here, and what is this unclean spirit, because this is something maybe we need to be aware of in this time, there's an us, let me first offer you a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a theological disclaimer, interpretive disclaimer. It's going to sound like that a little bit. I will tell you this. Most uh, scholars, most commentaries will say that Mark is using unclean and evil spirits, which we're going to talk about later in this series. Wow. That he's using unclean and evil spirits synonymously. They're basically the same. He's just kind of tossing the words around. I I agree in part there is a unity between them, there's a similarity, but there's also another view that Mark, having heard these stories from Peter, who was a good Jew and again inspired by the Holy Spirit, was intentional about identifying this particular spirit as unclean and there's other unclean spirits that come up uh, later in the gospel as well. What do they have in common? Well, all unclean spirits, evil spirits and demonic spirits, are wicked, they're evil, and they also seem to share some ability to inhabit or even influence a person or people. But let me just be clear as we go on. There seems to be a distinct subcategory of these spirits that is known as unclean. Okay. Unclean, if we think back to the Old Testament, and this again, what I think it had, the author had in mind, there's an unclean spirit. We know that from the Old Testament, something that is unclean cannot experience fellowship with God or or the community of faith because of some kind of contamination. Something that is unclean cannot experience fellowship with God or the community of faith because of some kind of contamination, either moral or physical. Now, in the case of the the guy in the synagogue, as shocking as it is, we can probably rule out physical, okay, because they had an eye out for that. This is why Jesus, part of his ministry, he went around cleansing people all the time of leprosy and things like that because they were unclean. They couldn't go to church. So this apparently wasn't an outward infection. No one even seemed to notice The guy was there with the unclean spirit until he started to shout out. Now, Old Testament law, in brief, would tell you that one is unclean by what they have consumed, what they've eaten. It's not of God. It's not of God's word. Someone, Old Testament in brief, may be unclean by what they've been in contact with, usually something diseased or dead, ew, that would make them unclean. Someone may also be unclean because they're immoral, either deviating from God's design sexually or idolatrous. Someone might be unclean. So what about this man? What do we think is going on here? I don't know. Word doesn't tell me. But what I do know is that he's under the influence of something within him that has kept him from experiencing true fellowship with God and with the community of faith, even though he's there, right there in the synagogue. Something has kept him inside from experiencing the full relationship with God and the, and the experience of rich fellowship with his people, even though he walks among them. But I I think for us to really understand what an unclean spirit is, it's important for us not to focus on unclean spirits. You don't want to study the word and try to learn about evil. We can learn about unclean spirits best by focusing on what is a clean spirit, what is a right spirit before God, and that would be the Holy Spirit. So if we contrast Holy Spirit and unclean spirit, that gives us maybe a better sense of what it means that it's an unclean spirit. We see the Holy Spirit fills us. We again know that from Scripture. Holy Spirit will fill you, fill you to an abundance, fill you to overflow. Unclean spirits often leave us empty, craving, not satisfied ever. We're always longing, always hungry for more. The Holy Spirit gives us peace. An unclean spirit gives us disruption, a spirit of disruption. It's addicted to the fight. It loves the chaos. It loves anger. It loves conflict. Oh, man, we've seen a lot of that this week and this year and this century. Addicted to the fight. But how many of us, even though maybe we weren't at the Capitol this week, love to read the online arguments about it? He said this, she said that, he said this back, and they said this back, and now they're fighting, it's so fun. Unclean spirits love the fight, love chaos. Holy Spirit will convict us, correct us, he'll guide us, but he's often going to do it very specifically. He'll, He'll speak to us very specifically. An unclean spirit condemns wholeheartedly. Let me give you an example of that. Holy Spirit convicts us, corrects us. Unclean spirit condemns us. The Holy Spirit might say something to you like, you know you need to forgive them, that person. You need to forgive them. An unclean spirit would say, ah, forget him. Holy Spirit will correct you or convict you, specifically saying, hey, you don't need that. Put it down, put it away, turn it off, let it go. Don't go there. Unclean spirit would say, you deserve it both when it's a time of wanton pleasure and in guilt. You deserve it. Holy Spirit seeks to bear fruit in our hearts, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and a gentleness and understanding and a self-control. An unclean spirit wants to sow anger and bitterness Which is why the word tells us, don't let the sun set on your anger. It's like a toehold, a foothold for the enemy. He'll grab you with that one. The Holy Spirit leads us. Often gently, sometimes very directly. The Holy Spirit will lead us. An unclean spirit drives us. There's again those cravings, those addictions. We're being pushed in one way by an unclean spirit. Meanwhile, The Holy Spirit is trying to lead us. Lead us. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Gift of God released to us in Christ. An unclean spirit is a curse. It seeps in like, like mold in your house that you didn't realize was there until you look up and you're like, oh man, what is that? That's gross. Or an infestation because you you left that crack in the window or that door unchecked. Suddenly they're all over the place, and you realize, ah, it's a curse. Holy Spirit wants to fill us with love, God's love that's pure and good. Thank you. Unclean spirit wants to fill us with the opposite of love, which isn't always hate, it's pride. It's pride and selfishness. We will love ourselves most. I wish I could tell you that I've never had an experience with an unclean spirit. Not having one now, never going to have one again. That's not true. I've dealt with them. I'm dealing with them, and I will deal with them. It's a constant battle to hold back uncleanliness from my heart. Unclean spirits manifest themselves in bitterness. Again, unforgiveness that's left unchecked. Unclean spirits manifest themselves through addictions of all kinds, including alcohol, drugs, gambling, social media, pornography, an addiction to self-hate. Unclean spirits manifest themselves in a judgmental spirit, a critical spirit, that disguises itself as wisdom or even compassion. We just think wrong of everybody, and we're right. Signs that we may be harboring an unclean spirit, and again, these are not always outward. You might be able to put on a fresh face outside. Signs that we may be harboring an unclean unclean spirit as they were easily agitated. Ready to fight. Cursing, coarse language—that's a big one around here. Even with kids. A critical spirit. We look at everything and everyone and think, "If you only did it my way, everything would be all right." Signs that we may be harboring an outward uh, an, an inward unclean spirit is when we try to read the Word of God, we suddenly get very sleepy. Everything else is so great; I could stay up late and do anything else, but put the Word of God in front of you, we suddenly start getting sleepy or bored or we're too busy, especially when it comes to spiritual engagement. Here's the thing, though. Like the man who happened to be there in the synagogue that day when Jesus arrived, we need not feel helpless because the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. The true light, which gives life to everyone, has come into the world. There's work to be done with this unclean spirit. Who, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. This unclean spirit is trying to name Jesus This is a very important clue here because often in an argument, the one who names the other typically has the upper hand in the argument. Think about it. Let's say you're ever in an argument with someone. And you're like, George, George, I'm trying to tell you, George, listen to me. You're trying to gain the upper hand by saying their name. I don't know a George, so that's pretty safe. They're trying to name him because whoever names has power over the one they're naming. I know who you are, and here's where the unclean spirit makes a mistake. You're the Holy One of God. Ah, Jesus is the ultimate clean spirit. And at that, it's over. Silence, Jesus says, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit is ejected with shaking and loud cries, which for some reason, because of maybe too many movies we've watched, we tend to think is kind of this angry, violent, scary thing. It could just as easily just be emotion, you know, shaking and and a loud cry. Either way, it came out. It was gone, released. The man was set free. It was beautiful. Everything has been restored now. It was beautiful. It got weird. It's beautiful again. This is why all were amazed. They were all amazed. And this is a different kind of amazement. This is like a euphoric, dizzy, lingering kind of amazement. Like when you've encountered something that was so beautiful, it's just going to stay with you. They were amazed. Who is this, they said? Ah, that he teaches with authority. Did you hear the way that he held and conducted God's word? And he casts out the unclean spirit. They, he, he calls them out and they, and they follow him. They, they get, they're gone. No wonder his fame began to spread. It's kind of why we're here today. You got to feel sad for anybody who missed church that day, though, don't you? Hey, honey, how was church? I'm sorry, I stayed home. It was something. Unclean spirits are actually more common than we might think. And what a place to hide. What a great place to hide in the heart of someone who's just trying to know God and experience the love of God and the fellowship of the church. What a great place to hide. Unclean spirits can enter into our hearts by choices that we make. Unrepented sin, secret sin, things that we leave unchecked. As I mentioned, unforgiveness, unforgiveness that we justify even. Things that we might consume, you know, alcohol, Uh, gross movies, uh, romantic movies, the news. News, I I, I don't, used to work in news, watch the news now. It's just the endless cycle of the same, same sequence with opinion and opinion and opinion and opinion. No wonder, and and any channel, no wonder you get so wrapped up in it. Music, social media, that can easily open a door. Here's a pretty safe one. I, I, for a while, was really enjoying nature clips, you know, like animals, lions, you know, kind of what it's like when, you know, uh, army ants invade this thing or whatever. And I was really enjoying these short little video clips. But I noticed that over the time, you know, the algorithm of whatever they feed you on the video clips that they were, they were featuring for me got a little darker, got a little harder, got a little more combative. Suddenly it was, you know, lions and gazelles and, and but the content was getting more gross. Well, it was It was violent. And, and I kept watching and I finally talked to a friend I was like it's kind of weird to say but I feel like I'm watching too many violent animal movies you know had to let it out but because it was it was it was working in me unclean spirits can also enter in by choices that are made onto us onto us even passively abuse which is just a, a really gross laying on of hands I'm sorry neglect maybe a feeling of being unloved or or Unappreciated exposure to things that you didn't, you weren't trying to. I had a friend; uh, it wasn't a friend at the time. I didn't actually know him that well. He's a leader at the church, uh, venerable guy, older guy, but was an angry guy. Everybody knew it. And one day, uh, early in my ministry with him, he yelled at somebody after service so bad that they were in tears. And I thought, we can't do this. So I called him in my office that afternoon, and he talked to it. I know you've been around a long time. We don't act like this. This is not how we do fellowship here. And he owned it, and he confessed it, saying, anger has always been on me, and it went back to his childhood. It's what his dad had modeled, and he had carried it all the way through, and he confessed it out. We prayed over it. It was a cleansing prayer, and he was changed. Not perfectly, for sure. But today, I could introduce you to him, and I'd love to. He's the kindest, gentlest guy I know. Wisdom, and he's still a leader at the church. See, an unclean spirit doesn't mean you're bad. doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, necessarily. But you got to remember, always, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God loves you, and he sent his son to set us free. So how do we get rid of? How do we vacate? How do we cleanse ourselves from these unclean spirits? Well, you remember the argument, I know who you are, trying to gain the upper hand. Naming things gives power over them. One of the ways that we do this is confession. We confess the uncleanliness, but we have to be very specific about it. Lord, I am being held down by a spirit of bitterness. Lord, I am being held down by an addiction to... Lord, I am being held down by a critical spirit. Lord, I'm being held down by depression. Lord, I'm being held down by a sense of unworthiness. Lord, I'm being held down by. We confess it. We name it. Then next, we receive cleansing. We receive cleansing. And it's from God. It's a gift from God. The spirit will do the work. I had a time once where I was just really struggling in bitterness. It was something that happened at work. I got really mad at my boss for something kind of small, but I carried it on. Then suddenly over the weeks, it just really infested my heart. I was cold with my wife, cold with the kids. I'd go to church, and I'd sit, and I couldn't really participate in the music. I can't remember what they were talking about. It was just blah, noise. And I kind of was going through the weeks like that. And then one day, got back to church again on Sunday. And the, they took a moment where they said, look, maybe there's some work that you just need to do with God. Can you just sit in the, in the silence here and just let the Lord's ministry happen? And it happened. I was just there. And then suddenly, I could just feel it lifted. And, and, and I started to weep. And I just felt like the God's breath just blowing on me and blowing me clean and, and, and refreshing me and standing me up and just saying, okay, you are clean now, just go and walk. See, because when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Third, then, we commit ourselves to Christ and his word. You've got to fill the space where the unclean spirit was with that which is clean, which is God's holy, holy word. You get it? Let's do some work in prayer now. You can put your head down or whatever you're comfortable with. If this is speaking to you it's as, as it's been speaking to me, then I want to pray with you and for you. If you're here this morning and, and you're just like, that's, that's not me, I'm, I'm feeling pretty fresh. Maybe you know someone that you want to pray for, someone that you know has been just holding on to an unclean spirit, or worse, it's been holding on to them. As Jesus said, silence, silence. And in the silence, we say, Lord, I'm being held down by bitterness. I'm being held down by addiction. I'm being held down by lust. I'm being held down by a critical spirit. I'm being held down by anxiety. Being held down by pride. Lord, I'm being held down by. And we accept your cleansing. Lord, you're doing a work today, you're cleaning hearts. And there we find ourselves in the midst of amazed and afraid. You're cleansing hearts today. Lord, help us to commit ourselves to you, to believe in your gospel, your good news of liberation for all who are captive. Set us free, we pray right now, in Jesus' name. We commit ourselves to you fresh today, to the teaching of your word with authority. Come and reshape our hearts. Fill in those spaces. Seal up those doors and windows that we've left open, we pray. The Word tells us when we confess our sins to God, he'll, He's faithful. He'll forgive us. He'll clean us. And we worship now. Why? Because whoever the Son has set free is free indeed.